Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Fitter, Healthier Dad podcast, where you can learn how to improve your diet, lose fat, and get fitter in a sustainable and fun way without spending hours in the gym. Here is your host, Darren Kirby. This is episode 28 of the Fitter, Healthier Dad podcast, and today we are going to be talking to the natural lifestyle stylist known as Tony Riddle. Tony uh, is a natural lifestyle coach and barefoot running enthusiast who has devoted his life to studying what makes us human and how to live naturally in the modern world. Through the adoption of simple practices, many of which define humanity for a millennia, he aids people in living healthier and more connected lives by changing our relationships to ourselves, to others and to our personal environments. Hi Tony, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? I'm very well, Darren. Thank you. Thanks for asking. Yeah, it's been a great day so far. Um, beautiful out there, actually. It is. It is. It is a beautiful yeah. time of the year, despite the rain, despite the cold. Um, yeah, it is. It is a great time of year, particularly. Well, as, as they say, my kids' forest school they go to. Or they're there once a week, and it's just you know, there's no such thing as bad weather. Just you know, inappropriate clothing. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Absolutely. Which I'd like to add, it's almost like inappropriate mindset that goes with it as well. You know, the, yeah. yeah, well, yeah, I mean, that's the funny thing, isn't it? We, we have these um, social norms, if you like, don't we, that ha- of how we're supposed to dress and all the rest of it in, in, uh, in, in our daily lives. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's not all about that necessarily, as we're going to talk about today. So, Tony, yeah, for, for the listeners who haven't come across you before or heard of you, can you give us a, just a brief intro into um, you, the natural lifestylist, and uh, yeah, how you became to where you are today? It's uh, a, a long podcast, that. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly 45 now, so um, yeah. And uh, right, okay, so I'm known as the natural lifestylist. Um, what does that mean, I guess, is a good yeah. place to start. I, I started out as a, I was a personal trainer I went from personal training into I found Pilates found Pilates found um through Pilates that people were looking to improve posture right. and if you then went into the roots of his original work Joseph Pilates is an amazing specimen you know but it, it wasn't like what we see today of the mat work or the reformer or the equipment-based Pilates he was out in right. nature he was in cold immersion um he was a gymnast, circus performer, middleweight professional boxer. Oh. Um, I mean, just an incredible athlete, yeah. really. But he then specialised in what Pilates was. So, in, in, in its roots, was this amazing kind of discipline. When you, if you look at that at its core, it's kind of like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. This guy, this guy makes sense. And it was, but the, there was almost like that generational amnesia. Yeah. Um, the repertoires or the coaching he was using then is that it wasn't, wasn't such a sedentary um, culture right. and and wasn't really approaching the indoor generation. People were very different yeah. then, right? We just had this generational amnesia that occurs, right? So um, I then found that people would come and see me and they'd have the same issues. It'd be lower back, and knee pain, and psychological stuff going on. Yeah. So the 
movement therapy, movement therapy became movement and therapy. You know, it was like you, you were coaching them on a different level. It wasn't really about posture anymore and yeah. other stuff. But the, the main characteristics where they'd come in with, you know, um, compromising footwear, let's say, that was narrow in the toe box and wider in the heel, complete opposite to the foot, foot yeah. mechanics. I've also probably taken a car ride or a tube or something to the space where I'm yeah. coaching. And then, and then they come to unravel all of that stuff that they've been putting in, the, in within their everyday lifestyle and expect huge transformations to occur within an yeah. hour. And they'd come and see me, what, twice a week, and then they return back to the li- very lifestyle that they're actually in movement and therapy trying to remove yeah. so um, or unravel. This basically the symptoms of that lifestyle. Yeah. And so and then we closed that space. I closed the Pilates space and then went from Pilates into uh, uh, some great mentors along the way. And one of them in particular was this Nicholas Romanoff, who's a track and field coach in the Soviet right. era. Um, and he discovered that like, there's a specific posture that everyone went to when they run. And the closer you can get to that, then the less injuries and the more efficient right. you become. And when you actually took that posture and the technique he was discussing, you then see that that exists in nature or people that haven't been compromised so much by the sedentary mm. um, culture. And then a cousin of mine, Lee Saxby, another friend of mine, Matt Walker, and myself, we set up a gym facility that within its core was about you know moving naturally but there was also a bigger picture of the, the, the holistic approach yeah. really of what it was to be human i guess we were also involved with a company called wild fitness and wild fitness core philosophy was to transform zoo humans into wild right. humans and they would do that in a retreat space in watamu in kenya um and we were heavily kind of inf- involved with that and then eventually i helped set up their pilot on the Isle of Wight. Right. There's one flaw really with it is that the, um, back then, it's very different now, but they, they originally were teaching the same kind of what they were classing as zoo humans. They were still teaching zoo exercises. Okay. I mean, a- exercise, not natural yeah. movement in a natural setting. So it was still, it was going into nature, but it wasn't really understanding what it meant to rewild that behavior from a zoo human to a wild yeah. human. So as we started to move along, other people were coming on the scene, like Erwin Lacour with MoveNat. Um, and then we started to just, we started to bring more and more of a natural movement discipline into the facility. Yeah. And then two of the my partners there, which was Lee and Matt, they jumped ship. I stayed on board um, and started to weave together more and more of a core philosophy that we would then, I then went, traveled with a bit and we called it um, the fundamentals of human right. movement. But, uh, but attached to that was also this um, understanding that when you get physical, social, and spiritual needs met, then you then the closer you are to getting your sinking with your biological normal behaviours, yeah. and the better the health and the well-being. So, in other words, the further you get away from your physical, social, and spiritual needs being met, the more human yeah. suffering. And so, we started to see that ah, okay, there's retreats here. So, eventually. Um, after years and years of plugging away at this facility that had really high rents and was quite niche at the time. There weren't many people doing it, so it's quite exclusive. And I'd taken on the financial responsibility on my own. So instead of having three of us doing that, that was now me. The overheads were huge. I had two kids at the time. Um, I was coaching for 16 hours a day, um, trying to 
developed this thing that I 100% believed in, but I wasn't quite living it because I was basically a stressed out zoo human trying to present a natural living philosophy. So I wasn't living it. It wasn't entirely right. honest or authentic in a way. I knew it. I had the right. knowledge and I had people around me. I just wasn't living it. And then one particular time, day, I was teaching a workshop of this philosophy to um, uh, some PTs, um, entrepreneurs and other people that had rocked yeah. up that day to, to do the workshop. And I'm then discussing, well, if you get your physical, social, spiritual needs met, then you remove human suffering, blah, blah, blah. And a tube train blasted past the building, <laughs> shook the building, and somehow shook me. And it was a, a, a moment of, wow, bam, I'm a fraud. And then so within a month, I'd closed the facility. Wow. Um, being honest then with what it meant financially, we ended up bankrupt, broke, um, back at my parents um, with two kids. Um, and just having to learn how to just to rebuild mm. something out of the um, brokenness that I had yeah. become. So that was kind of in the, in the understanding of what it was. And then from that, over time, I started to rebuild Tony. And so I understood then that, that it wasn't, you know, that didn't all happen to me. It was happening yeah. for me. And out of that, I had, the under, I had the knowledge and knew exactly what I needed to do. I just needed to live it. Yeah. So... It soon became, instead of me discussing breath work and not being entirely honest with it, I then had a really strict breath routine. I'd had a morning routine, morning ritual. I understood that the closer I can get to nature, um, the more I can heal, um, sinking with my human biology again. And then over time, it was just finding more and more ways um, of living that are more in sync with human biology. And what's the best place to look? And that's to go to nature and the natural beings of the world. So out of that came this core rewilding or rewilding human experience. Um, people didn't quite get it. They couldn't understand it. And it was too niche. And I put together a book proposal and all the publishers were like, no, it's too right. niche. And then, um, and then eventually I had a, a, the, an editor from the Style magazine from the Sunday Times yeah. um, approached me and just said that I want to interview you for one of the six best coaches. And I was like, oh, okay, Ego <laughs> loved it. It's great. Yeah, six best coaches. Um, which was wonderful. Uh, so I, I met and we sat down and we, ch we chatted for a, probably two right. hours. Or two hours and finished it. I had no idea. Sorry, I'd really um, underestimated it and you thought this was just about a natural movement practice. Yeah how to squat and how yeah. to run aligned with nature, which I can see that because my background has become that. But she's then thought that there was a, an education around sleep and movement and play and rest and sunlight yeah. and um, a ground living practice. And then, you know, and then community and friends and family. So there was this physical, social, spiritual thread that was through it, that they were the things that you'd have to align with um, yeah. nature. Ben said, I love it. I just think we should do it. I scrapped Ben, one of the six best coaches. I'm just going to give you a double-page feature. So we did that. And then off the back of that, um, the name The Natural Lifestylist came. So it was basically it's a guy's, you know, it's a, I'm a rewilding coach, really. I rewild people's movement, their sleep, their nutrition, and get them out into nature. And, you know, the stats like we, 83% of the UK alone live in urban yeah. environments. and we spend like 90 plus um, ninety plus percent of our time indoors. Yeah. 
So it was then right, okay. So that's that's the way things are. We can't some some people that's not even possible. It might be the whole day yeah. indoors. And so how do we then rewild that behaviour? And it was then it was ah, okay, we can start to look at how we just use nature as the filter yeah. and we look at every part of every day every part of our life and how we can look at how does that look in nature and how can I bring that behavior how can I bring change that habit within that habitat yeah. Yeah. really that's kind of underneath it for right. me so rewilding simply means to me that you know we I look to natural beings natural places of the world um, to find ways of living that are more in sync with human biology and then the the holistic approach of that that will bring around health and well-being one of my phrases is that ancestral health is modern day wealth and i've seen that with um I've, i mean i've been coaching a long time so you can imagine i've had like, some of the clients i've been seeing they've been on a big journey yeah. with me and some even that may have been 20 years but what i will say is that you know they could be i could have someone that's from teenager through to 80 or student through to billionaire yeah. and it really doesn't matter where they consider themselves to be you know on the um the maslow's kind of yeah. model of success which is a monetary driven ladder yeah. really of success if those fundamental needs aren't met they're pretty unhappy yeah. but what i always find and it again doesn't matter where they are student billionaire whoever they are um the more nature i can bring into that lifestyle the more successful they are as a human being and then you start to see real happiness and we start to bring back things like joy into yeah. our lives which is you know it's a it's a powerful tool really and, we, and you know it's um for me it's you know i i love yeah. coaching but some of it can be so simple for people that's the thing it's the simplest part is just would be just going walking yeah. in nature you know yeah <laughs> and make a huge impact on someone's life yeah know? definitely and i think that what you've just said there is something which is massively overlooked just in society by humans and the rest of it. And we always look for the most complicated way to for, for a problem that we have, you know, could that be health or that could that be happiness? And actually it's all within us. It's all there. We've just got to be, I, I can't what I wanted to say, be at one with ourselves, but I don't actually mean that. I mean, we just need to be a lot more conscious about what's going on inside to affect our outer world but instinctively we go outside to fix what's not working inside exactly yeah we yeah exactly we look to the external world um and it's partly because we've lost touch with what the internal yeah. world is so rewilding isn't just about oh we've got to go out into nature it's obviously understanding you are nature that's the yeah. whole point <laughs> And um, the moment we dis di the moment we detach or disassociate ourselves from nature, obviously the, the more unhappy we're going to be of a species, yeah. right? So, um, uh, I, I but there's there's certain stuff in there that because it's very easy to say, something, oh, you have to change, you have to alter, and you have to just you know just be at one with nature, yeah. or but th th it involves changing your perception of you and the environment. Mm -hmm. And that's all it is, just perception. At the end of the day, just, you know, oh, I can I can be this or I can be that. There's, you can alter your perception in a breath. You can alter your perception in, in a moment. You can alter your perception in a night's sleep and wake up and just go, right, that's it. Bam, time for change. Yeah. But, you know, we have these shackles of what 
what the normalized behaviors, what we've learned in our first formative years, that might be, you know, from the last trimester in the womb until the age of seven, let's say. And that's kind of become, they become the recordings and then the tapes that you pull out for yeah. the rest of your life. This really work through Bruce Lipton is good for looking at, looking into that. I like yeah. his work. And when you see that, you know, that what you've learned in those years will determine how you play out the rest of your years. Yeah. And, and so it depends what, what you've been open to and what you've recorded in that time. That's, that's sometimes what we're up against. And that's, that's then a language we then need to unravel yeah. somehow and go into those early years and, and also understand that if you're a parent, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a father and I've got four yeah. kids and I have to understand that what my children, the, my behaviours, my children are observing, yeah. not just the language because we learn through observation, but what they're learning will become the templates for the rest of their life. So I need to be really responsible and show them the appropriate behaviors and what would be more appropriate for the world right now than behaving naturally and trying to find ways of living that again, that sync with human biology that bring around better health and well-being. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, it's particularly around the children that I've noticed with my two boys that it like, it's exactly like you say, you know, it's, it's not just about what you do. Um, it's about how you are, how you behave as a human. Um, and the other thing that I wanted to pick out what you've just said is, is around, yeah, we are kind of, we are kind of given this, um, sequence of events or, or situations when we grow up. Uh, and you know, I follow Bruce Lipton as well. And it's, I think the most challenging thing about it is when you're an adult is then actually understanding that that's what's happened when you've been growing up. But then in order for chat, in order for you to change and to improve and want to get better, you have to change that, that kind of movie that's playing almost in your, in your unconscious. And I think that's a very challenging thing to A, recognize and B, to actually implement. Well, it's how you unravel it. But I, I, you know, the best thing is having kids because the kids highlight exactly what that (laughs) is, right? You suddenly say, oh, my God, did I really say that? Oh, my God, did I really think that? And then where does that come from? And then you realize, ah, okay. And then if you sit in it, then you can see it and you'll hear it. And it's, it's, the, it's the ancestral voice coming in where that parent or what your parents inherited in their first yeah. six years and, you know, and so on. It was passed into generation to generation. You wouldn't even normally dream no. of saying it, for instance. No. But, um, you know, it's, and sometimes it's hard to press a reset button on that. You can go and do, I mean, you can go and, go and do some amazing workshops like Transformational Breath is really good for unscrewing your intellectual yeah. lid and just getting deep into the emotional stuff and letting out what it might be, the trauma. Yeah. There's, you know, some amazing plant medicine ceremonies you can go on. You're going to have amazing experiences on that, and that, again, will help you unravel those first yeah. years. Um, there's, there is, you know, you... Other than that, you have to work much harder because you, you have to, firstly, you have to highlight what it is and how to get into it. And I think breath work is in a really, um, first of all, it's free. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the most powerful mod- modalities. And we, we talk about sleep and say, you know, sleep is the most underestimated yeah. well-being modality. But actually, I think breath is probably the most underrated because if, for instance, um, Right, let's say I've had a stressful yeah. day, right? So today, let's call it today. Let's call it today. And let's say um, we had Bo in the bed and we had Tallulah in the bed. And let's say they didn't yeah. sleep very well. And I might feel in the morning, if I don't have the right sleep habitat, I might feel a bit 
a, a bit blasted yeah. in the morning. Oh, I've got to do this. And I feel a bit upregulated. So I think, right, I'm going to have some caffeine, yeah. right? So I drink some caffeine. Then I leg it out of the house and I start really, I'm pacing already to the tube and I get on the tube and I'm surrounded by other people that probably had the same experience, yeah. right? So where we are, we're all um, emotionally upregulated. And then that's almost, that's the sympathetic nervous system. So that's our fight, flight, freeze, whatever you want to call it. And then I'm going to go into my workplace, my work experience for the day around other beings that are also upregulated. And then finally, when it's time to leave, if I haven't dealt with that in an appropriate manner, I'm going to go back into the same tube experience, arrive at the yeah. door. I might have been out the house for 10 hours. My kids have been waiting for me to get in for 10 yeah. hours, right? And they want, they want to see people, you know, the you know, they want, they're really excited about it. You're like so stressed out that you're entering the house in the first six years of your life because that's what plays wow. out when you're stressed is that you turn into the three-year-old or the five-year-old. That's, that's what you're playing out. That's the point. That's what's happening when you end up. That's, that's where you operate at when you reach those really upregulated states. Yeah. So... I then enter the house in that state. So then suddenly I bring that voice of my parent in. It might be, you know, uh, oh, why are they making so much noise? Why are they, why are they doing this? Why are they doing children to be seen, not heard, blah, blah, blah. And imagine all that stuff going on because we listen to it. And I could, I could avoid all of that. I could just go in the morning, right? Okay, I didn't really sleep that well. So what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to just do some breath work, right? I'll do five minutes of parasympathetic breath. I feel really on, I feel a bit on edge. I'm going to do this, that will drop me in. Right, then, and then I'm going to take a stroll to the tube. I don't need to pace it. I'll just take 10% out of my day and I'll just observe everything that's going on. I have a look up, take the sky in for a moment because I'm probably going to be a building yeah. all day. Get on the tube. I'm not going to sit down. I might be sitting yeah. down all day. So I'll surf or I'll hang or I'll squat. And then I arrive wherever I'm going, deal with my day. If I feel like I'm getting upregulated because I've got to answer an email or I've got to go into a stressful meeting, I will sit there and I would again drop into down-regulating breath, something like four seconds in, but six seconds right. out, breathing through my nose and then a letting go, just checking in every now and then. That is enough just to down-regulate yeah. you. You do 10, 20, 30 cycles, whatever it is. Going home, same experience. Okay, just do a bit of breath for a walk home. You have a completely different experience of your commute for a yeah. start. And then when you arrive at the door, just take a moment, just take a moment to really honor and respect what's about to happen do a bit of breath walk in the door and you'll be amazed at how that will transform your day but also transform your child's experience of you as a yeah. father yeah yeah because it's stressful out there we all have to admit it's stressful and why is it stressful because we're fundamentally not getting we're not getting a fundamental physical social spiritual needs yeah. met so you need to kind of for me it's always about the wins throughout the day what can i tick off oh, i can get movement in by walking somewhere rather than catching the tube maybe yeah. i can get the amazing sky in my eye even if it's cloudy you still need yeah. that that hit light um breath work as i say and just you know and then also maybe maybe look at what you're putting in the body as well you know there are examples of what you could be doing. yeah i mean that, that's a that's a whole other i guess a whole other podcast isn't it really but yeah i mean that that what you just explained there about the differences in in the way that you can um, actually behave in your day, and just just that little split second there of awareness, and just taking that you know ten twenty seconds just to 
re, it's almost like kind of resetting yourself, isn't it? Or just kind of doing a little soft reset on yourself um, and just breathing in and breathing out. And, and like you say, before you walk in the front door, just taking that, you know, and it takes five seconds about what you, you're going to do, you know, because I think if we if we look at it honestly, you know, when we put the key in the door and we go in the door in the evenings, we want to be engaged with our kids. We want to be as excited as they are to see them. But as you say, you know, we, we let life overtake us. And that's the thing. It could be an email. Mm. It could be a conversation you have with a colleague. And then, and we just bring that into the house, don't we? And then we these little people that are running around, we're putting all of our stuff onto them. Yeah, so then that's what they inherit again, and that's that then becomes the templates that they play out for yeah. their life. You know, it's like fascinating, <laughs> isn't it? And that's just that's just those little micro yeah. hits, right? And then you've got you know that there's so much, and then understanding there is look. I can Peter Gray has a book free to learn that we're kind of really we're in right. love with, and it's because we're an unschooling, homeschooling right. family, and. There's a part in that that I, I, I love. I, I bang on about it a lot and I talk about it in lots of conversations is the is the play aspect and just looking at uh, what does childhood look like yeah. in nature, right? So they he asked 10 leading anthropologists what does childhood mm-hmm. look like in nature? So they look at three separate, three ge- geographic locations, three separate tribes, and they say um, these are some of the m- most well-balanced happy individuals they right. found as in the children right well-balanced children and in, in these three tribes so how, how do they how do they achieve that what are they doing and from infancy through to the age of 16 all they do right. is play all day but what they do in that time down is they learn um everything they need for their adult world in the form right. of play so they learn to track and they learn to build shelter and fire. And they understand, I mean, it's a, we're talking about it's really sophisticated systems they're mm-hmm. learning, but they learn it through play. And then they, they are the animals, they are the plot, plants, they are the rocks. They are the other beings in their tribe because they do all that through right. play and would be probably the closest we could get to what understanding one consciousness is, what it is to be everything. Yeah. So that building stuff like compassion and empathy and stuff like that as well, right? And they have a closer connection to nature than anything else because they are nature. They bring yeah. it all. So um, but you have to, and then, then they learn, then they've learned everything they need to be an adult and they can go into the adult tribe, but there's no adult intervention. They're not taught by right. adults to behave. They just play, right? So if we then flip that and we say, well, that's how children learn through observation and that's, they learn all their adult behaviors through play and being the adults in play. What is it that our tribes of kids are learning? Yeah. That's quite powerful for me. It was like, wow, okay, can you imagine? Like, it's like, you know, no wonder they're looking into their devices and rubbernecking into their device, and no wonder they're ordering like coffees and going out and doing this. And it's just, we've basically, we, we're, cre- we're creating, yeah, yeah. we're they're loving us. And we, and to remove like the hypocrite from that would be, you know, you can't berate on your kid for screen time if you've got your face stuck in an iPhone for yeah. the majority of the day. You know? Yeah. Because they're just, they're just they're just playing at being an adult. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And then once they reach adulthood, that's who they become again. You know, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, isn't it? If you it is. Kind of really look at nature as the filter in that discussion. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's why you can quite easily see how we lose our way to our 
true self, I guess, don't we? Because we, you know, people talk about this onion and you take the layers off of an onion. Well, actually, what you're doing from when you're a child to when you become an adult and obviously onwards is you're adding all these layers and you're further, further removing yourself away from who you really are, who you, you know, how you, you, you come to be in existence. Yeah, it's like um, it's. I mean, because recovery, recovery is used in other terms, but I, it's like rec- recovering, yeah. isn't it? It's like you keep covering all of something, keep coming up, and we need to desperately uncover mm. it. Yeah, <laughs> get to unravel and uncover and try and get to what. What is the initial? What is that underneath yeah. all of that? How do we? Because we all love putting terms around about authentic self and finding yeah. yourself and stuff like that. But ultimately, that's that means going into those earliest years and unraveling that. But I think if you you know, if it's parents that are listening, then it's an obvious one, isn't it? Because you're again, your kids kind of highlight or will flag up yeah. for you what it is. You know, you can hear it. You'll hear it in the way you communicate to them. Yeah. Or, or if you lose your shit, let's say, and then you then you know where yeah. it's coming from. But also, as I said, if you can feel it brewing, it's best to kind of walk away and work with breath. Yeah. It's the fastest kind of kind of down regulating technique you can use just to and then you'll view it differently i've had it when i'm trying to write stuff and like write chapters yeah. or and i could feel that i was getting stressed because i couldn't quite understand what it was i was trying to do and there was loads of noise yeah. in the room and i could hear i feel myself just getting really yeah. unregulated and just like oh, why are they so yeah. noisy and they're not noisy they're just yeah. playing <laughs> and i'm just i'm just not i'm not viewing it as play and then once i could basically take myself away do a bit of breath then come back to the room and then everything become play yeah. again and I could see that, well, you know, they're learning everything they need to in this moment. So what do I want them to learn? Do I want them to learn and observe the playful person within that experience? Or do I want them to observe the agitated aggro person yeah. that they might become when they're older again? Yeah, definitely. So, Tony, I want to ask you next. I know this is uh, completely uh, kind of off on a tangent of what we've been talking about, but I'm really interested to find out about your uh, Land's End to John O'Groat's uh, run uh, and what brought it about. I was following you religiously on uh, Instagram, your Instagram stories, and you went through um, a very big emotional journey. And you had obviously had a big issue with your with your ankle as well. So I'd really like to to dig in a little bit more about how that went and um, why you did it in the first place. Um, so why I did it. So firstly, yeah. So the run was to run from Lands End to John O'Groat's, which is around well it depends on how you plan it but we wanted to get it to 900 miles so it would equate right i wanted to do 30 miles a day for 30 consecutive days and then choose september as a perfect month to do it um that was that's in the roots of it also in the roots as i was born with a deformity in my feet i was the longest baby on record at that time in reading hospital and okay. taking some kind of mad adaptation on to be able to fit in the womb. And my feet were um, kind of curled underneath my armpits somehow. And right. so I had to have plaster cast boots fitted um, weekly for the first 12 weeks. And then I was putting boots with a bit of a, with a brace. Okay. So that's in there. I think that was in the first kind of trauma of probably, if I really go right back, it's probably in the roots of what I, why I do what I do today. Um, yeah, and I was in a, a, a ceremony, and these boots kept coming up for me, and this message of lose the shoes. Right. So the initial thing was, like, yeah, I, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to run from 
Land's End John Groats, and I'm going to take these boots with me and I'm going to throw them in the sea at the end. Okay. <laughs> and, um, but the message would be, I'm going to do it barefoot. And, I, I, you know, I have a, I'm an advocate of barefoot running or running in barefoot technology. I know it's an oxymoron, but it's a shoe that is puncture-proof but still gives you feedback and allows the mechanical, anatomical, physiological decision to be made appropriately by the foot, as in there. They're wide enough in the toe box and they're minimal, minimal footwear. So um, yeah. I'm an advocate of that anyway, but this was, I'm going to do it barefoot. So, it was, you know, and, and with that, when, as soon as I say, I'm going to run 900 miles in a month barefoot, people just give this like, first of all, like a crazy look, but it, it challenges, <laughs> challenges a social norm, doesn't it? Yeah. And with that socially extreme eyebrows are raised and then I can go in, well, it's a biologically normal behavior to run barefoot. It's just not yeah. socially normal in our tribe of influence today. Right. In some cultures, it is perfectly normal. Um, so anyway, so I, I then, um, that was part of it. And then it was like, right, okay, that, that's a real, that social eyebrow raising is, is a real opportunity to make change because grabs yeah. attention and I know the press will want to get involved and I knew it would create a platform and I remember listening to Greta Thunberg you know and it was the, the bigger the platform the yeah. more responsibility and I understood that yeah. that you could flip that into right okay I can create a platform and I can yeah. be responsible with it and I can raise awareness for something that's really aligned with that which is the environment so there was like the pronged attack was that I would run to lose the shoes the second one would be to for human potential and just show what the human being is capable of and yeah. what our physiology is capable of in our mind and that running is beyond a cardiovascular exercise for me. It's a physical, social and spiritual experience. And yeah. the third part was, well, what can I do with that? I can then raise awareness. So I chose six um, organizations to raise funds for, which were um, Client Earth, Care International, Greenpeace UK, Surfers Against Sewerage, Rainforest right. Alliance, and Extinction Rebellion. So I thought, right, that's 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 what I do. And then I then thought, well, okay, I've got an opportunity here. I can I can interview people. So I get um, sustainability, environmental influencers on board, and I can interview them along the path as well. And we arrange right. these interviews that will be done somewhere on the run. And right. so that was that was in the bones of it. That was kind of the the idea that was manifesting, and and then it was just a matter of you know obviously getting the mileage in and stuff like that leading up to it, and yeah. to get the feet to adjust to that kind of mileage as well. But the, you know you can't you can you know you can go in with expectations, but the reality is there's so many variables in an event that big, yeah, at absolutely. that level that. Um, will throw up along the path. You never know what can happen. And, and I had, you know, disaster struck for me on like even day four, I had a thorn that went in my foot. Right. And then through the kind of, it was throwing out the way I could load the left foot. So I was overloading the right side. And then day after day, like 120 miles in like that, like you could see yeah. the impact it was having. Right. And then I was forced to retire for three days. So I'd already lost the 30 miles a day for 30 days. I then had to up mileage beyond that to get, to try and rescue it yeah and then amazing right it's amazing 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 process all of that and what was unraveling from it and also there was the just 
I guess the vulnerability kind of for me just yeah. highlighted what going into it. I was like, no, you know, you, you can't. You basically, I think um, Ross Edgley nailed it with naive enough to start and stubborn enough, to, stubborn enough to finish. Yeah, and yeah. again, his expectations going in, but you can't. Everyone say, "Oh, you're not worried about this." And I said, "No, I know what. I know I can do it. I just I'm determined to do it. I, I know I know I can do it, but I can't discuss what might happen along the way." So, no. so the so that was the first instance, and then everything was. Then I got back into it and was really flowing again. And then towards the um, end, like on day twenty six. I went a bit off piste and got a bit lost in a forest in Scotland. PPF <laughs> um, wasn't working, and yeah. and then I had to navigate like twenty miles in, I think, that day. So I was pretty shot anyway. Yeah. And then I could see a path, and then the path opened up. And then I could see a stream, and I leapt over the stream. Rock displaced, sprained my ankle, created an upper ankle sprain, oh. and just tried. And then got back down to the road, and then managed about I think two hundred meters. And then it was right. obvious that um, it was a proper injury. I think at that stage, and okay. so then we, um, and then we, we, I, I basically had to quit. I had to quit that day. Yeah. And then we found ourselves back at HQ. We were staying at that stage. We were staying in this place called the Black Isle, um, right? And not far from Loch Ness. So. Catherine, okay. James, who was supporting me, was like the cameraman, driver, everything. I kind of put loads of responsibility yeah. on him, and he was amazing. And he took Catherine and the kids out. They went to Loch Ness, and it enabled me to just kind of really just sit in the adversity. And right, this is where perception comes in again. I, I, I was yeah. broken, tears in my eyes, sobbing, head in my hands. And I'm broken at that point. There's not much left in me because I've just done. Yeah, 26 days of this brutal journey, the pilgrimage, let's say. And um, I was a proper victim. I was like stuck thinking, oh, how yeah. the hell am I, you know, I've blown it. I can't, I can't, I can't go any further. My foot blown up so much that I couldn't put right. weight on it. So how, how the hell am I going to run on this? And then I had to go into, well, you know, I know all this stuff. I know all this, you know, you can change anything in a breath or you can alter your perception yeah. of something. You know, you can heal yourself in it. If you really put your mind to it, you can do it. And then lots of messages were coming in. People that had seen it. So I had people firstly ask it, telling me, oh, don't worry about it. You can just do it in 33 days, do it in 35 days. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and then others that really knew what the process was and you, you need that marker to be able to complete it. That's how you do mm -hmm. it, right? So um, I'd like some rich role contacting me. You know, you've got everything inside of you to do this. You've been everything you've done up until this point is about now, and I, I yeah. know you can do this. And then other ones like you know, you're the minority of the minority of the minority of the minority. You know, mm -hmm. no one else is out there doing this. You are, so you have to get yourself back out to do it. And it's like, wow, okay. So that started to motivate me a little bit, and then I started to use breath. And right. I started breath work again, really deep breath, mm -hmm. and then I'd meditate. And then I have this thing about, I call it the pain cave. Okay. And so the pain cave on this particular day, I, I go in the back of the cave in my meditation and I sit there and there's a, there's a grizzly bear there. <laughs> the grizzly bear is really wise. And the grizzly bear says, um, it's okay for you. You know, you're, you're far more powerful than I am because you can um, choose to be um, at the back of the cage at the back of the pe the cave, or you can choose to be out of the cave. 
I yeah. don't have a choice. I'm stuck at the back of the cave. So you're much more powerful than I am. And I was like, wow, okay, is it? Now I, that's it. I know I can get out of the cave. And I just I had to then focus on the light and I could go out. And then I was like, okay. And then I had Lola, my daughter's voice of, you're not going to quit, are you, Papa? And that really got me through it. And then I just started just yeah. already just, I just flipped a switch in my head. It was like, I'm no longer yeah. victim. I can do this. Went into breath work, then started using ice and cold immersion and right. then heat and then mobility and then already i was standing up and i was walking and i was like wow this right. is great and then um and then i had loads of sleep in that day as well and then lots of great nutrition it was like sleep nutrition ice breath work simple right. such simple things but yeah, yeah enough for me to be able to heal in a very short window of time and then go and run 30 miles the next day 47 the day after that and then 57 on the wow. final day so it was kind of like i did double the amount of mileage on the last day really than nearly 60 miles on the last day on the last day yeah. of this with a sprained ankle an upper ankle sprain yeah. um on day 29, I decided to take the decision to tape the ankle. So I taped like the tibia and the fibula together all the way up my shin right. bone, basically, in, around the calf. Yeah. Um, just to give it extra support. And then off I went. And so it's not to say in, there were moments of really sharp kind of, oh, this is a nightmare, you know. And then you go back into, you know, I've, I have everything in me right now to be able to complete this. So it's like this yeah, conversation yeah. between the two. and. And when you do endurance events like that, it's like you've lost your shit, basically. <laughs> you kind of go off on, off, off on, you know, just tangents in your thoughts and just you see many sides of your personality and your condition. Yeah. And you unravel it like the onion, like we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, there were moments when I, I was having a deep kind of conversation with my granddad, you know, he's Wow. but i was having a he was on my shoulder and running with me and we're kind of running along and he said oh you didn't think we, we he's a geordie he was a geordie so he had this newcastle yeah. accent <laughs> and we were proper dialogue and he was like you know you didn't think we were going to make it that easy for you did you um yeah you know this is bloody tough and you know you have to dig deep and but it doesn't mean it won't come about it's rewards and as he said that i looked across and there was a massive rainbow stick, sticking out of the sea oh wow and then carried on trotting for a bit. And then I found a sign. There was a big sign for the Glenmorangie distillery. And that was the whiskey he drank, you know? So it was like lots of right. subtle things. And then I yeah. started to really tune in because at that stage, I was just immersed in nature the whole day, working on breath while I was running. Right. Okay. Constant rhythm. So I'd say it's, it's like almost like a very deep meditation that you go into when you get to that level. Mm. And I think just profound things were happening for me along the route. I was meeting people that that were there just when they needed to be there to assist me in some way. It's like, yeah, it was just incredible. And I think that we're so, this is the other thing, taking it back into breath and trying to be in the moment is that we're so overwhelmed at times, you know, and we're so distracted yeah. that we're missing out on those little nudges and nuances that might be happening in the day to assist us. You know, that's how it felt to me. Well, that might be woo-woo to some listeners, but, you know, for me, that, that was definitely the experience and that was what I was going through at that moment. Yeah, I, I can definitely relate to that. And it kind of gives me goosebumps when you talk about it, because I know from my endurance events that I do, you know, the body is an amazing thing and um, it is limitless. It is limited, I believe, by your own internal thoughts and your mind. And, you know, these conversations, if you're, if you are tuned in, can be so profound and can help you 
achieve whatever it is you've set out to achieve. It's just being aware of, you know, what's going on inside you, what the mind's telling you, being open and, and just being there present in that moment, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I could have, I could have tried to override it like on day 26. Now I'm just yeah. going to keep going. I'm just going to keep going. Yeah. You know, I could have done all that. I mean, because that's in me as well. But I just felt, no, I'm just going to, I, I said from the beginning, I'm just going to become the process. It's like I have to just accept everything that's thrown at me. And I was very honest in blogging yeah. about it. I didn't want to be put out there. I'm like some David Goggins character. And it's all, yeah. Yes, yeah. because it's not for me. It's not the reality of it. I needed to basically just experience everything, and I and I felt like I, I mean it was amazing for that. If you really open, it, yeah. And I think there's more lessons yeah. in that than there is proving you're some amazing endurance athlete. I mean, because yeah, I think once you, I mean, you can accept that, and that, and that I, I, you know, depending on the event, but I think the body is essentially just a vessel for the mind, and I think it's it's the mind. There's so many lessons there that can be learned. You know. Mm. On both sides of that, I mean, I'm sure David Goggins has, has many lessons, right? Yeah. <laughs> what an yeah. Athlete, do you know what I mean? Yeah. For me, yeah. that that wasn't the way I was going to learn on this run. I needed to just accept at one point I was broken, and I think if if yeah. you know, w- would I have completed it if I didn't listen on day 27 to take the day out? You know. Yeah. And then, had I not done that, would I have learned? the human potential, not just in completing. See, my original intention going in was I didn't believe the physiology would break down because I had so much trust in it, right? The yeah. human potential. But that's talking on a physiological level. Now I've unraveled something else about human potential, how powerful that mind is to turn a situation from being completely broken and a victim that can't load his leg into finishing yeah. on double the distance on the final day with that sprained ankle because the medical profession would have said no loading, put a ski boot on and no load bearing for six weeks. And I, I woke up, I finished at nine 30 in the evening after running for 12 hours, 57 miles in 12 hours. And then went to bed about 10 o'clock, woke up at five 30 and caught a flight home. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Yeah. So just putting that into context alone, it's like, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? It's like what we can actually be doing. Yeah. You know, if I think back to, I mean, endurance events I've done, you know, I've done a lot of, I was in the army, I've done a lot of mileage, but if I think back, right. like, even trying to really kick out a good half marathon barefoot yeah. like the next day and think, oh, stiff or this or that. I didn't have any mm-hmm. of that on that, you know? Yeah, I was amazing. Yeah, Look at yeah. me walking around, but I wasn't to the point where I, there's no way I could have run. I, I mean, even on, no. I think even on day 31, it was like I could I could go and do that again. So it's kind of that, yeah. you know that's that's I think that was people say finish strong. You know, I'll finish strong. That's how you enter the next event or next day. Yeah, but I, you have to understand that finish strong. I believe for me now just means in the mind. Finish with the mind. Then mm. right, I, this. I reached something yeah. really profound there. So I now believe I'm kind of, I feel like Tony 2.0 from that event. I really do. Like a different being for yeah. it, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think it's definitely, and it's like hearing you talk about that. And again, I think it comes back to us, you know, in the modern world society, we expect that a help's going to come externally, isn't it? Whether that's health, um, whether that's endurance or, or anything else like that, really. But it does come from you internally. And it's 
it's tuning, really tuning into that. And I might sound a little bit cliche, but it's really going deep within your inside yourself to pull out what is available to you and what you can actually do and what you can actually achieve. And it's not putting your mind to it necessarily, but it's it's understanding the messages that your body's telling you and and what you know what you can pull out from that. Yeah, like Jen, it's again, it's I think it's just you know we 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 have to learn so much about the internal world. I think that's yeah, you know that's part of the coaching process, isn't it? The self kind of learning, self care comes in is because you start to learn. Yeah. You, you, you do you just learn more and more about yourself and your internal worlds. And of course, we're always going to look to the external world if we, if we if we don't know how to handle ourselves, right? Yeah, and and I think that starts again in the early years, doesn't it? It's like looking to the external yeah. world. And in that situation, yeah. you know, I didn't have a physio, I didn't have a doctor, I didn't, it was just me, Karina, the kids, and the, the James, this amazing guy, decided to join the journey because he wanted to film it and document it, you know? So, right. you know, there was no, I mean, I, everything was around me. It was just, you know, they were, the, they were like five people that I needed around me at that time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. So, Tony... Talk me through a little bit about what your kind of daily, you talked a little bit about your morning routine, but have you got like a, a daily routine that you follow in terms of, you know, fulfilling what your, you know, what drives you, what you, you know, the natural lifestyle, what you're about, how you get into nature, how you rewild, obviously, I see you quite a lot doing, you know, the cold water stuff in, in, in the lake in London, kind of what's a typical day like for you? I think, um, well, we're kind of creating a lifestyle that is just a lifestyle, so it feels less like I have a job, <laughs> or yeah. um, it would feel less structured, I guess. Um, I still have clients that I coach, of course, so that's I have four days a week that I coach clients, and um, right, so that that involves a lot of movement, involves a lot of talking, involves a lot of this kind of talking um um i then yeah i have a morning routine normally that involves getting the locomotive joints working so getting the ankles the hips and and then unraveling the spine a little as i sound for nearly 45 now so it's kind of that experience is can be a little bit different in the morning and um yeah. so I just unravel that and start, as long as I can get moving I get shakes going as well I want to get into the nervous system and wake it up a little and then I feel yeah. in my 30s again I guess um, and then I sit and I breathe so I get some I hydrate as well sorry I, I hydrate um, I take this a probiotic called the seed okay yeah I've the, heard of that yeah. which is a symbiotic so it's a prebiotic and a probiotic I take that that's the first thing hydration then I have a move around, then I have my mobility, locomotive joints, and then I sit and I do. Depends on how I'm feeling, Darren, because some mornings I might feel upregulated. Yeah. And some mornings I might feel just like I'm so chilled, I need to upregulate. Right. Okay. I will either do a, if I'm upregulated and I want to just start my day really calm and, and set my intention for the day, what is it Tony wants to be focusing on today? And I, I have a gratitude practice, which also sounds like cliche. Right. People talk about it, but it's just basically, you know, simple. I'm grateful, right, for whatever it is, yeah. and uh, I'm grateful yeah. for my health, my wealth, my happiness, and my family, and and so, um, and then I and then I sit and I do my breath work. So that might be 
um, five minutes on an app that I use. It's well worth um, linking this in. It's by Eddie Stern. It's okay. called the Breathing App. So I'll give you a quick upload of how that sounds. This is an in-breath. Okay. Have you got that? Yeah. And this is an out-breath. And the in-breath uh, in okay. I set at four seconds. Yeah. And the out-breath is set at six seconds. So the longer the out breath, the the more your your lower your heart rate and your blood pressure, which brings you into that parasympathetic state. Um, and that's if I'm up regulated, I want to down regulate a bit. And then I go and either get in the cold tub or I'd go to the ponds in Hampstead and I get in the cold ponds of Hampstead. Yeah. And that involves getting out in nature. And then I go on to coaching and um and then I have, you know, just stuff like parenting and you know. Yeah, yeah. Long yeah. life, and um, we don't have any furniture in our house, so we ground live. So, um, okay. I, I mean, I say furniture, sitting furniture. Let's not say no furniture. Yeah. It sounds a bit weird, though. Um, <laughs> so we ground live. So if we dine together, we're all in di- different rest positions on the ground. There's no chair. Um, right. Understanding that we live in a sedentary culture anyway, so the areas or environments that I can take charge of, why would I have compromising patterns? Yeah. Um, and there's a hundred different rest positions in nature that we've observed. And, and so yeah. we only have one really in the zoo, but there's multiple ones in nature. And each right. one of those is a micro hit of how to stand, walk, run, jump, lift. And with all the appropriate shapes, the unraveling of that yeah. would be in those postures. So that's kind of where, where we're at. We live on a predominantly plant-based diet. So we're 95% plant-based. Um, and, um, my sleep, I guess, and sleep's in there. So that's kind of the sleep is we down-regulate the house in the evening. So we okay. that involves um, switching bulbs onto amber. So we have yeah. light bulbs that are remote control that you can switch to amber. That te- wipes out the blue and green spectrums of light, which will be suppressing someone's melatonin. Yeah. Um, why is that important? Well, melatonin is a regulatory system of your digestive system, not only a sleep hormone. So, okay. um, if you have a, you have a hormone called ghrelin, and yeah. a hormone called um, leptin. So, what happens mm-hmm. is the ghrelin. Um, you need melatonin to suppress ghrelin. Otherwise, you still need. I need to eat. I need to eat. I need to eat. It's kind of that. Right. That's the, that's the ghrelin hormone. And then the other one is leptin, which is a satiating hormone that tells you I've had enough. Yeah. And you need leptin to go up and ghrelin to go down. Does that make sense? Imagine they were on. Yeah. So melatonin's key role within that regulatory system is it suppresses ghrelin and picks up leptin. So people right. think, well, I'm really hungry in the evening. Then check what's happening with melatonin. It might be once you get melatonin back in the system. So that involves just lighting is one. And then, and then there's other stuff, studies around, uh, you know, just metabolism, hormones, and a yeah. process called apoptosis, which is how you transform unhealthy cells into healthy cells, mm-hmm. and you need melatonin for that. So there's studies around cancer now of night shift workers versus day shift workers. So if there's any of the, okay. any of the fitter dads out there that are night shift working, this is really important study. So they showed um, night shift workers simulated in a simulated night experiment right, with lots of light and they had a yeah. dark chamber, um, darkened out room for sleep. And then they had the same simulated night work, night, night shift worker experience as group one, but they wore amber glasses that blocked out the blue and green spectrums. 
They then measured a urine test of the melatonin in the morning and group one, no melatonin, group two, high melatonin, group three, high melatonin. So it's just simply if you, if you knew you were having to work in the evening or late is to just change the habitat and that will help keep your hormones in check, which then of course is going to be an important factor. Um, and as a male, especially is to really just check your kind of hormones and the systems around you that might be um, affecting them. So that's, that's yeah. sleep for me. And we go to bed pretty early. So we're in bed kind of by, I think I'm normally asleep by 10. Yeah. And then that means I can get up. So I'm, I'm in bed by nine. I call it the new nine till five. That's kind of the, <laughs> that's a good where, one. I like where that. all the real work is done, you know, so yeah. between nine and five. And then I'm not so obsessed by sleep. I think sleep is, we have these obsessions and I think it's good for the listeners as well is that, I've read so many books on sleep science now and the whole absurdity around you no know, sleep debts and sleep deprivation if you don't get eight hours. Because, if, yeah. again, if by looking at nature and how would I sync that with human biology and nature, the, these beings in nature, if you, if you the, the, with a sleep debt, you, you're at risk with diabetes, obesity, inflammation, yeah. and autoimmune, right? So all that stuff can come through from sleep debt, sleep debt, sleep debt deprivation. Um, whereas if you then go to studies in nature again, um, professor Siegel from the university of California looked at three tribes, um, different geographic locations. They studied them for 1,165 days. And they see that within those tribes that not one of those members are sleeping for eight hours. They sleep between 5.7 and 7.1 hours. Mm-hmm. And they don't have the obesity and they don't have the diabetes that we've been led to believe. So I think the difference is, of course, it's just the habitat. So you have to yeah. flip your habitat yeah. at home to have the amber lights or clean up the air in the home or stuff like that. That yeah. can you, you can just think how a sleep setting would look in nature and try and bring as that much of that into the house as you can. And then I then I might wake up in the night, but I'm not stressed about it because. I mean, I'm in a biologically dark room, how it would have achieved yeah. in nature again. So then I know I'm not messing with my melatonin and stuff like that. So I'm, I just play with ideas like that really for sleep. So I, that's, that's kind of my sleep. And that then it rolls into the morning again of how I feel when I wake up, you know? Yeah. And well, I think my yeah. morning routine starts with a nighttime routine. I think that's the easiest way of settling that one. Yeah, and I like the way you flip it, the new nine to five. I think that's very good. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm very similar to you in terms of going to bed early and getting up early. But what about um, fitness, Tony, or is that just part of your daily movement? Do you, do you take part in any fitness? Obviously, you used to be a personal trainer. I don't. Or is that- I don't, I don't no, I think for me, for exercise and fitness kind of um, – they're part of the human zoo culture, aren't they? We, we originally yeah. would have been this playing natural movement species, and we are that when mm-hmm. we're young, and then we're put into a classroom, we sit down, play, and physical activity is taken away and turned into a specialist subject called physical education. Yeah. And later becomes adult exercise, which we then yeah. either hate because we had a terrible experience in the first formative years through PE because we weren't good yeah. at the specialised subject of PE, but actually beneath it, we're all generalist movers. So I, I, I can't do, I do have a movement practice. So I, you know, yeah. I, I like, I play, I play with balance or so balance on rails or, you know, that helps yeah. configure the way that my ankle, my knee and the hip will behave with balancing. So balancing on rails, yeah. 
Um, I run, of course, I barefoot run, or I wear barefoot technology again, like we discussed earlier. Um, yeah. I, I hang, I do straight arm and bent arm strength, um, okay. like pulling techniques, either with gymnastic rings and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I, and I climb and, um, I have crawling practices that I do. And then again, I, as okay. I said, I, I ground live. So that's like ground living is just like what would be a yoga practice to someone. It's just living on the ground just means I move in all different ranges. So I'm really mobile yeah. in that sense. And I think as time's gone on, I honor more of a, I honor more of a mobility practice than I do a strength practice because that enables me to keep moving and there's longevity in that then. Whereas yeah. if I keep just building on strength and doing exercise, I just get stiffer, more dominant yeah. in ranges. So it's really just um, as close to nature as I can take movement, the better for me as a practice. So if there's any of those, yeah. um, anyone listening, have a look at MoveNet. Have a look at MoveNet. It's a good discipline. It's quite a simple right. one um, with Erwan Nakor. And there's some you know nice little, you know, disciplines and practices you can take on there um okay. so I, I just like i generally just move i move as much as i can through a landscape um i swim of course as well and out in nature yeah. rather than a pool uh, i think climbing is a great discipline if you you know if you're mm. because it's just the ranges and the mobility and the, the uh, you have to move differently when you climb you can't be you know blowing your arms up so it's nice. just a very different discipline again and then a great thing to be doing with your kids because they learn a great skill set there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so in terms of though, you obviously saying you've got movement practices, but would you agree or disagree that your strength is going to come from these moving practices that you implement anyway, aren't they? Yeah, because again, it's but I'm working with my own body weight the whole time. Like yeah. kind of what happens is you start to see the physiology that nature intended you to have, yeah. rather than the aesthetic building your ego wants you to have. So. The t-shirt yeah. muscles are one thing, but can you move in the t-shirt, you know? Yeah, exactly. And you see, yeah, it's, it's quite often you see these people that um, yeah, might be able to lift whatever they can lift in the gym, but then struggle to move just daily. And it's, um, you know, you can go anywhere with a movement practice. You can make it more strict and become more specialized. Like from running it, from running for me, barefoot running is just a, 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 a micro element of the physical movement system. Like, Movement is yeah. a micro element of the physical system. So you have movement, you have sleep, you have rest, you have play, you have sunlight, you have sex, you have water, you have digestion and food, right? That's all physical needs. And the movement yeah. aspect of that, if I take movement out of the physical self, there's running, there's jumping, there's lifting, there's carrying, there's quadrupedal movement, um, there's yeah. balancing. And then there's a ground practice underneath all of that that helps nourish all of that. So, I, you know squatting like resting squats and things like that i think are incredibly important um yeah, yeah. trying to get your yeah. squats so the squat feels less like an exercise it actually feels like a rest position yeah. from that you know that you'll have the appropriate shape and mobility really and ranges in the lower extremities to be able to stand balance walk run lift you know so there's no yeah. overlap in it um and I am in a very fortunate position, of course, because I have clients that I coach as well. So I get to move with them. So if I, cool. I'm moving with my clients, then that shapes a certain physiology. Um, yeah. But if I, if I don't have that, like we were away, for instance, we had 17 days out over the Christmas period and 
I'd still have a move. I still honor something in the day. I'm still moving and still yeah. I'm looking. I'm an opportunist a lot of the time. Okay. So let's even say the tube, when I catch the tube, I don't sit. I, um, yeah. I choose to surf, so I don't hold on to any rails. So that's one thing. It's like a stability exercise. Yeah. Um, I squat as well instead of standing. And okay. then um, I then hang. So I put my hands up on the rails above and I hold on while the tube's moving. It's in, I mean, the strength and also the just the understanding of your weight and your hands and your grip strength will just thank you for that. You know, it's a really yeah. powerful tool. And then if there's the escalator or the stairs, of course, I'll choose the stairs. If there's an escalator or the lift, I'll choose the, the escalator and I, and I run up it. So I just, I'm always looking for micro hits throughout the day rather than trying to add too much into it to overcomplicate it. Yeah, and that, that I think that's really good because obviously then that means, you don't, like you say, you don't have to have this big event where you have to do a half, half an hour or an hour or whatever it is exercise. You, you're getting it in consistently throughout the day, and I think that's very key is, is consistency, isn't it, in your movement, in your up-regulating up, up your heart rate, down-regulating it and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah and it's, yeah, it's exactly that. It's, it's consistency because, you know, it's the – exercise punctuated within some kind of daily routine it's it's going to become inconsistent because life doesn't work yeah. out like that you know some days no. when like today there's no way this morning i would have had time to go to a gym there's no way this afternoon i'd have time to go for a gym so i'd have to sacrifice that but i'm, yeah. I'm i've now changed my rest position probably eight times since i've been on this podcast right right so on the ground i've gone from kneeling to single leg kneeling to squatting you know and that could be a Netflix yeah. binge. It could be, you know, just change yeah. your ground rest positions as you're watching Netflix and just tune into your body a bit more. Uh, mm. You could be brushing your teeth, standing on one leg, balancing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. The set routine is different. I the, the the mobility and stuff I do in the morning, that's, I mean, that's contradicting myself a little there, isn't it? But it's, um, I, I have a morning ritual. And so that's been the same kind of discipline for um many years now but that's really about okay. just being more like a cat and learning to pandiculate trying to get into the just trying to re-enter the body i guess yeah. um rather than it it doesn't feel like an exercise does that, does that make sense just yeah yeah more like more than mindfully that. moving to get get more grounded again yeah yeah and it's it, all of, you know all of this is is to me when you talk about it, it is all very basic stuff, but it's often interesting how we don't consider any of that. You know, you were talking about naturally squatting, and I think I saw, I think it was an Instagram story you did with your daughters, mm. and and obviously you you demonstrating how that you know how they just naturally squat and you squat, and I actually try and do that every morning now. Yeah. I try and naturally squat, and I can't hold my own body weight up without holding on to something. I'm gradually getting better. Yeah, because. Um, that will come through consistency again. Like to start with, we're yeah. people that we we can be compromised in the ankle joint or the hip. Mm. Um, but over time, again, that that exercise that you're performing at the moment will become more restful. It, it will. It just it's the it's it's a progression, really, isn't it? All yeah. you do of it, of course. Yeah. I mean, there's ego portal challenge, which was to squat for thirty minutes a day for thirty days. Right. Um, but what I often found is people come in that they haven't really addressed what's going on in the ankle or the hip or whatever. Yeah. And so they, you're building a, and that's a foundation of how you stand the squat, right? If you think of a child, they have to yeah. go through multiple different positions, they get to a squat and then they stand up. 
it's yeah. like our ultimate position to keep going back to check in with how you're standing. And if you build that on poor foundations, then surely you're going to have a poor stance or poor walking gait or running gait. You know, it's just, it will compromise yeah. somehow. So for me, I, well, I developed a tutorial for it. So there's, we can put that in the show notes, but there's a tutorial there. Yeah. That, um, it's a six week tutorial. So it looks at how the, the mechanics of the feet, the ankles and knees, the hips, and then you build the posture and then, you know, over time you just keep building it. And then eventually you get to this, the ego portal element of doing 30s, minutes a day for 30 days but that's not one sitting no you can be you can get it to one sitting but it will be like i do a minute here set a timer 30 minutes do a minute here yeah. deduct it every time you get up you hit pause every time you go back to the squat you hit go and you accumulate yeah. the 30 minutes but yeah. as you're finding there's certain um areas where they are compromised so you have to know how to deal with those that's why i put a tutorial out there really it's addressing that right. so, yeah. yeah. Really, uh, yeah, that's really useful. I'll, I'll check that out. Uh, Tony, I could talk to you for for hours um, around this topic, but before we before we wrap up, what would you say um, are five actions or key actions that the listeners could take away and start implementing some some natural lifestyle into their into their daily uh, existence? I think the first one would be breathe. Yeah, so we've put the, the breathing apps in there. That's by Eddie Stern. You can work with that. So that's one system of breath. Um, the other one is look at Edo Port, um, look at um, Wim Hof, sorry, look at Wim Hof's method of breathing. Yeah. So, in that instance, if it was like 3 30 in the afternoon, you're feeling the slump rather than smash the caffeine or the chocolate or the sugars, use a bit of Wim Hof's breath and upregulate your tempo and it will put you in a more alert yeah. state. Yeah. Um, so then you can use a down-regulating for if I'm stressed, stressful phone call, stressful email, stressful meeting, interview, whatever, entering the house, dealing with the kids, whatever. That's down-regulating. don't have to do – like a minute is just six cycles of that, four seconds in, six seconds yeah. out. I mean, that's like six cycles of breath. Everyone could do that, right? And it's free. Yeah. Then the up-regulating will help pick you up so you don't end up, as I say, smashing caffeine or sugars or anything like that um that's breathing that's one box ticked number two would be get outside so um set a timer um again 83 percent the uk we're living in urban environments we spend 90 percent plus time indoors so 10 percent is two hours 24 minutes um at least try and get two hours i guess set a timer and try and achieve that you know weekends mainly you know try and really work at, at accumulating more if you can to um, compensate for what you might not have achieved in the week. Um, next one, that's, that's two, right? Yeah. Then, then yeah. Um, become a, and I, the reason for that, the reason for getting outside, the studies are showing, like we're talking about breath work to downregulate and become parasympathetic yeah. to remove the fight and flight. Just going out into nature does that. <laughs> right. It already drops you in. So there's loads of studies on how the heart rate, blood pressure, everything drops into a parasympathetic state just by looking at nature scenes. Yeah, um, yeah. That's, that's two. Number three, um, I would go sleep. Just okay. really try and create this. Sean Stevenson has a nice term. He calls it the sleep sanctuary. And it's, yeah. you know, creating this sleep habitat that is nourishing so that you go, you, you, the real work is done in there. You want to achieve these amazing macro states within that sleep anabolic sleep whatever you want to call it all the cellular repair 
all the nourishing work will be done in that time. So try and really hone in on sleep. Um, yeah. There's some great stuff. There's light bulbs you can buy for the bedroom, which will, again, you can switch to amber. You can buy amber glasses, which help deal with the lighting. And yeah. air purifiers or plants in the bedroom that help clean up the air. If you're sleeping yeah. in that bedroom for eight hours a night, as we're led to believe we should be, that's breathing in and out the same air. So it's quite important you clean up that air. Um, yeah, absolutely. Bedding materials, maybe look at more natural fibers and natural materials you can get in there as well. That's going to add to that. So that's three. Um, number four would be become that movement opportunist. Um, yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, of course, if you're going to the gym, still go to the gym. I'm not berating on it. Or, you know, it's just look at more playful ways of moving, I guess, and try and tap into yeah. that because, and, it's, and with your kids, amazing, like tag, go and play tag with the kids in the park. Um, yeah. Become a human tree and they have to climb around you or climb over you and you have to be able to keep your yeah. arms out the whole time to, and they have to do one lap or something like that, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Balance on the curbs, climb the walls, do all the things that you would have done at some stage before you got it domesticated out of you. Um, yeah. And number five would just be um, have compassion because we all we live in a world of frustration, right? We get frustrated at this person, that person, this environment. And it's really, yeah. you know, go into that. What we discussed is that, um, you know, it's the first six years of life or first seven years of life. So you don't know what someone else has had to go through in the, in that period of time. So compassion right. for that, you know, that might be your parents. It might be your grandparents or it could be a neighbor. It could be someone in the office. It could be someone on the commute. Just compassion yeah. for what it is they might have had to endure in their earliest years and is what is playing out in their adult life. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that. I think number five for me is, um, yeah, very relevant. I think when we have, we are losing compassion for other human beings and, you know, not considering, like you say, what they've had to endure to where they are today. And which obviously is, is shaping the way they're reacting, responding to life. Um, yeah. And I think we could all do with just a, a, a just a realization that yeah become more compassionate so Tony it's, it's amazing um I think it's been a, a great podcast but before I wrap up what would do you feel that I haven't asked you that which would benefit the listeners and would benefit the listeners um I guess it would be like what would that piece of advice be I get asked this you know what what advice would you give your um, 20 year old self? You know, right. that kind of model, I guess. Yeah. Go down. And yeah. It's always um, just, you know, I have this trust the process, be patient, be, trust the process, respect the process, be patient whilst in the process. And when you understand the yeah. process, just be. And the key there yeah. is kind of really just is the being patient. It's like we're all in such a rush to get there. Yes, and we look yeah. at our, um, friends, and we look at uh, people around us, and we might see, ah, oh, how is it there where they are, and I'm not where I am, where they are, you know, and why yeah. why can't I get to where they are, or they've accelerated, far, you know, you know, it's been successful or whatever it is. Yeah, and I yeah. think the key is just to sit back a bit and understand that you know, I'm one of those people that it's taken me ten years to really work where I am now to get where I am now. Mm. 10 years, right? But yeah, if, well, really when I understand it, it's like 45 years, but let's say 
<laughs> um, to get there. Others yeah. I've seen just suddenly they pick up something. Oh, it's people I know that are, they've been they've been coaching for like five minutes, but they've suddenly wham, it, it works, and they're off. You know, and they're flying. Yeah. Um, yeah. Why is that? You know, and I could look at it that way. And go, oh, you know, and get frustrated with it. But the reality is, I've got ten years worth of experience. You know. And yeah, and it's the experience where all the learning is. It's like you know, everything is a lesson. Even the really horrible, shitty stuff that happens to you in life is happening yeah. for you. You will become an amazing being for it. Yeah, and the faster you are to understand that, the quicker you can turn the situation around into a growth-promoting situation and alter your perception of it. It's like it's all happening yeah. for you. Take your time, be patient, and sit back and listen to the bear at the back of the cave and what wisdom he has to tell you. You know, it's just it's yeah. some valuable lessons in the adversity of life. Everything is a lesson if you just sit back and listen to it. So just take your time and and um, and 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 you know, be kind to yourself. You know, definitely. I think um, that's quite profound because it's it's something which I will freely hold my hands up to which you know i've been guilty of patience is is one which um we're living in a modern world where everything is in either the palm of our hands or in amazon's warehouse unfortunately (laughs) Um, and we expect it to be there yesterday and yeah patience and trust in the process and the other thing there which i think the listeners should rewind and listen to and that is, you know, everything, every, all of the struggles that we go through in life are lessons and we just need to recognize that they are lessons, you know. Um, and if you do that, I think you'll, you'll become a, you'll understand things and grow much better as a person. Absolutely. And that's what it's about becoming more human, right? You know? Yeah, definitely. Cool. All right, Tony. Well, thank you very much. How can um, people connect with you, get hold of you? Get you know, obviously, I'll put in the show notes the the tutorial that you've got in there. But I know you've you've got um, various different mediums in which you communicate with us all. Yeah. Um, so at the Natural Lifestylist on Instagram, that's kind of the big one for me most yeah. now, isn't it? I guess I blog a lot on there. Uh, my website Tony at TonyRiddle dot um, and on there you can find like workshops that are happening, retreats that are happening and stuff like that yeah. um, for the full immersive kind of experience of it all. Uh, then I'm on Twitter at Feed the Human, but to be honest, that's kind of just comes off my Instagram account. So okay. yeah, Instagram makes more sense to me these days. And then there's the yeah. tutorials which are on Vimeo, but you can find those through the website. There's one on feet, there's one on barefoot running, and there's one on squatting. But um we put a, if you put a link in there, I, I get you a discount code organized and we send that okay. over so your listeners have that at 50% off. Okay. Yeah, okay, thank you, thank you very much. Cool, All right, Tony, well, thanks very much for your time again today. It's been great talking to you, uh, and I really, really appreciate your time. Thanks for the experience, man. It's been brilliant. Thanks for listening to the Fitter Healthier Dad podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit subscribe, and I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on iTunes. All the links mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes and a full transcription is over at fitterhealthierdad.com.